Last week, we looked at why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Like our friend Zacchaeus, the tax collector. As promised this week, we're going to look at who Jesus is. And by looking at who Jesus is, we'll see that Jesus, he's that perfect gift. You're going to have a gift up there pretty soon. They got a new program they're working out. Turn my mic on. You think it's off? How's that? That a little bit better? Okay. You're going to look at who Jesus is and how he's the perfect gift given to meet our greatest needs. I'm glad for everyone who's here with, every, with all that happens at the holidays and the traveling that goes back and forth. I believe the Lord has you here this morning for something to give you, each one of you, something from his word. So I'm glad you could make it here this morning. For many, this time of year is about giving and receiving gifts. And it's interesting to think about because if you think about it, in every culture, you know, cultures do things differently. And a lot of cultures don't always have the same thing. But all cultures have gifts and receiving gifts. You notice that? Everybody likes to receive gifts. And some people like to give gifts. People love to receive gifts. But this also can be a stressful time as well, can't it? You know? Is it too small? Is it too big? Is that for someone who's older? Is that for someone who's younger? Is it, is it too expensive? Is it too inexpensive? Is it too in style? Is it too out of style? Will they want it? Will they need it? Will they like it? I have to confess, I'm glad my wife does most of the gift buying in our house. And we still go through those questions together at times. But you know what? I'm more so glad that God, when he gives a gift, he gives it perfectly. He meets all the necessities, all the requirements. And more so. His word says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And giving us the gift of his son, the Lord gave us a perfect gift to meet all of our needs. You see, I think we have some basic common needs. You know, things that we all share. It's what we're looking for in life to bring us true happiness. These things would be, I would say, five major categories. I bet they're true for everyone in here. And we didn't even talk about it. But I bet you they're true. The first one is inner peace. You want to have peace inside your heart. You want to know that everything's going to be okay. And preferably, someone bigger and more than you are has it all under control. And you're right with that one. With that, you can make sense of your troubles. We go through hard times. Life is tough. Life can be really hard. But you'd like to know that what you're going through and the struggles you're going through, that there's sense, there's going to be some good coming out of that. 
Another thing I think we're all looking for is unconditional love. You want someone to love you. Not only for who you are, but really in spite of who you are. That no matter what gets uncovered or discovered, they're going to love you anyway. Unconditional love. Certain hope after this life. I think we all, we all want to know that this isn't it. That there's more to life than what we see here and now. That when we close the lid on that coffin to our loved one, that's not the last time we're going to see them. There's more to this life. That there's a certain hope after it. And with that, purpose in life now. What am I here for? What am I doing? I've got so many decades of fruitful, functional life. What's it all leading up to? Is it going to make a difference? Is it going to matter more than just here and now? Inner peace, making sense of troubles, unconditional love, a certain hope after this life, purpose in life. If, I, if none of those hit you, come up to me afterwards. I want to add to my list and see if I missed anybody on something important in their life. You know, Jesus is the perfect gift. He meets all these needs. He meets them all. Let's look at how he is the perfect gift, was given, and how he meets these needs. So far, so good. I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 2 if you want to turn there in your Bibles. If not, we can just read it from the screen up here. I'll be reading it from, my, from the podium here. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Okay, I also have a little thing for the kids. We don't have kids club today. For those of you who are, are visiting, we usually have kids in a kids club today. But I've got, um, I'm trying to see how many kids. We've got a few kids here today. I'm asking some questions for the kids as we go along. Oop, wrong button. Okay, good. Okay, kids. Now, kids are, we'll start with uh, 
Let's see, under 18. How's that? Under 18. Who did the angels say this baby would be? It's pretty embarrassing. I only have my kids raising their hands. You got your hand up there, Hannah? Who did this angel say this baby would be? What's that? So it would be Jesus? Close. Anybody else? All right, Anna? No, close. Abby? Oh, wow. We need to pull this verse up again, don't we? All right. Let's read it again. Good. Where is it? Christ the Lord. Okay? All right, now I've thrown down the gauntlet for the kids. They've got to start paying attention. I got this rattly little bag of goodies up here I was going to give to the kids if they get it right. So now I've got, got the kids really paying attention now. Right? All right. And don't worry, that age might get broadened out to the adults, so make sure we're all paying attention. Who's this going to be? This baby's going to be Christ the Lord. What does it mean, Lord? What does that mean? Well, it means the highest authority, doesn't it? You can put your hands down. <laughs> I'll tell you when it's your turn, kids. I'll say kids. How's that? They're jumping all over those candy canes. Well, who is the Lord? Well, it's the highest authority, isn't it? There's none greater. The Lord is the one in charge. Jesus was born Lord. Here he's introduced as Christ, which is the Greek word for Messiah. As the Messiah, he was the son of David. He was in the direct royal line to uh, come to the throne of Israel. He was born king of the Jews to be their Lord. And the typical thought of of the Jew at that time, and even to some extent today, is that the Messiah would come and that he would throw off the Roman oppression, and he would take Israel from the bottom of the countries to the top. He would reestablish them as a power, a world power, like they were during the days of King David and King Solomon. That's what the Messiah would do. He'd give them a physical prosperity. But not all were happy, were they? Not all were happy about Jesus being born King of the Jews. Reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. All right, not everybody was happy, were they? Okay, kids. Kids listening? All right, here's a question. Who was troubled? Who was not happy? Sydney. Sydney, right? Sydney. You know what? Satan wasn't happy. That's exactly right, but that wasn't in the verse. That's a very good point, though. Hannah. 
Herod was not happy. Very good. Very good. You know, Pastor Candy came to the back there. He passed that straight back to her. Very good. Who else was not happy besides Herod? We've got a little clump of Epps kids going on over here. <laughs> Caleb. All of Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem. There you go, bud. Careful with that one. Very good. Okay. Herod was not happy, was he? Why? He was the current king of the Jews. He was not too happy about hearing about another king being born. He was the only lord of the land he knew about, and he wanted it to stay that way. But see, he wasn't even Jewish himself. He was actually Idumean, which means he was an Edomite. He wasn't from Jacob and Israel. He was actually from Esau. He had married into the royal Hasmonean family, and that's how he had become part of the royalty there as king of the Jews. And he was very protective, very protective of his, of his ruling. Just at the thought, the whim, uh, uh, hearing a rumor, he would put to death family members and even priests who would try to take away his rule, his authority. Now these wise men from the east, professional astronomers are coming saying they see the star of the king of the Jews and want to know where he's born? Well, this is not going to work. They want to come worship him? Wow, that's a problem. He didn't want to lose his rule. Herod was very tight-fisted about that. But who else was upset? It was Jerusalem, right? All of Jerusalem. You can understand why an Edomite king who really doesn't have a right to the throne, would be upset. But why is all of Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish people, why are they upset? You see? This is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. Were they? Were they actively waiting for him? You see? There's no doubt they knew that the Messiah, when he came, he would not tolerate sin. He would not put up with the things Herod did, which a lot of the people in Jerusalem were enjoying. The corrupt practices of a foreign king. And they weren't looking forward to the house cleaning the Messiah would do. Beyond being born, Lord, Jesus walked. His whole ministry, he was called Lord. The disciples called him Lord. Would-be disciples called him Lord. Lepers called him Lord. Blind men called him Lord. The winds and the waves obeyed him as Lord. He was Lord, called himself Lord of the Sabbath. Even a foreign woman, a woman of Canaan, called him Lord. And finally, the father of the ep epileptic called out to him, saying, Lord, help us. Jesus told him it was right, told the disciples it was right to call him Lord. He says, you call me Lord... For so I am. He even challenged them in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? You don't do the things that I say. It's right to call him Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And our only true happiness is found when we recognize him as our Lord. Now, that's counterintuitive to us, isn't it? 
Someone wants to rule over your life and it's going to make you happy. <laughs> that doesn't sound natural. You know what? The problem is with our nature. That's the problem. See, the devil's trick from the beginning was to say, you know what? You can be independent. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You rule your own life. You can make things happen. You can be like God. You can be your own God. You see, that's a lie straight from the pit. That's been Satan's line that he used on himself. I will be like the most high God. And he lost his place in heaven. God has gifts for us. Lots of gifts. Let me talk to you about one of his primary gifts. I'm going to cover the word the game of. What's God's gift to us? It's life. Thank you, Anna. She wanted to get a candy cane for that one. Not yet, honey. God gives us life, doesn't he? He gives us life. What a gift that is. And then with life, sometimes you get what? Directions. Very important. And in life, he gives you a path to travel down on. First, one of the first things you've got to figure out is your education, right? What kind of education are you going to get? And then with that, you're working towards a career, right? They're all gifts from God. To have an education, to establish a career. Once you have a career, hey, you, you, you start to get some of this stuff, right? That's a gift. That's a lot of money right there, right? Gifts from God. Then if you got the money, you can afford a car, right? You see that little blue guy on top of there? Then what's next? You might even be able to afford to get married, Right? Maybe you can afford a starter house, right? After that, you start to have kids. Well, those are gifts. They are. Gifts from God. But you got to get rid of the starter house with all those kids. You need a bigger house, right? I know in the game it's called the hotel, but we're just going to call it a bigger house today. These are all gifts from God. It gives you a path to travel down. A road to go. You know, crush the house and the car. They're all gifts from God. But you know what's more important than these gifts from God? It's the giver. If he can give you all these wonderful things, and they are good, how much greater is he? And even more so... I, I can say from personal experience, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my education? I don't know what to do. Lord, which direction do you want me to go? Lord, what career do you want me to follow? Lord, hey, thanks, thanks for the money, but I know it's really yours. You're just giving it to me as a stewardship. Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? With the family, 
you've given me. With the house you've allowed me to have. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Why is that so important? This is where life is at. And it's the conflicts here that make up our everyday lives. Naturally, left to ourselves, we want to do all these things our way. We say, yeah, thanks, God. And we do it our way. How does that end up turning out? How does that work for you? Conflict, problems, and it goes south from there. Jesus is a perfect gift that he came to be Lord. And you can turn to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? You have full rights and ownership of my life. What do you want me to do? You see? Too often we're doing the opposite. Well, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to take my car over here. And I'm going to take this job over here. And I'm going to marry this person because I want to. And I'm going to buy this house. And I'm going to take this educational path. You see? And then life goes like this. Because we were made to know him. Our lives do not work without him. Think about it. We have our limited understanding and failing powers and ability. And God has infinite understanding and all power and perfect love for your best interest. Which one would you want to turn to? Which one would you want to have? This is what we're created for, to know, love, and serve the Lord. That's why I like this passage, this next passage. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. All right, here's a little bit harder question. I'll still leave it for the kids for now. Who is the Lord likened to in that passage? We are his sheep and the people of his pasture. Happy? Very good. Very good. We got a candy cane for you. I'll try not to give you a busted one like I gave Caleb. Sorry about that, bud. We are his sheep and the people. It's he who has made us and not we ourselves. You see, the box comes from God. The life, it all comes from God. One day, what is he going to do? He's going to say, okay, we don't need the career anymore. That goes back inside the box. Oh, and the kids are gone. Maybe the spouse too. They go inside the box. Maybe the car as well. It goes back inside the box. The house, back in the box. The money, it's all his. It goes back inside the box. How are you going to know what you did with that? That all goes back inside the box. 
It gets put away. How are you going to know what you did with that is going to count for eternity? It's only by being in relationship with him. It's only by walking with him, seeking him first, putting him first, saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because it's all going back in the box. That's where you find our greatest fulfillment. You know, the Bible said that Jesus died to be Lord. That's why he died, to be Lord. And that from kings to peasants, people find their greatest fulfillment in having Jesus as Lord of their lives. But it doesn't stop there. There's another important reason why to have Jesus as Lord. To receive that gift of him being Lord. You know he's coming back. You know, and, and Malia didn't happen two days ago, did it? No, it didn't. The Mayans blew it. This is my surprise look. Although I would have been completely good with it if they happened to have gotten it right, if the Lord came back and I wasn't here. But he is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's returning as Lord. Revelation 1.7 says... He's coming in the clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth shall mourn. Right now, Jesus is some afterthought or nuisance in the minds of the people of the world today. It's not going to be like that when he comes back. There's no manger. There's no humble scene with poor parents. This is Jesus, the Lord, coming back. It says in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, he's coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven to strike the nations and to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, what does it say there? What's going to happen when he comes back? He's going to rule. And everyone's going to bow the knee. They're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. That's going to happen. He came as Lord. He's coming back as Lord. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Herod and Jerusalem, they were not ready. They were not ready. They were upset. They're supposed to be waiting for the Messiah. They weren't. They were not ready. And I see this as one of the biggest stumbling blocks. I know it was in my life of people who don't come to Jesus because they realize if, if I come to Jesus, he's Lord and I sit at his feet. Not I'm Lord and I just have Jesus do whatever I want. No, if I receive Jesus, he's Lord. We don't want to give up running our own lives, even if we're ruining them. I, I remember when the Lord broke me. I call it, um, a white, I was waving a white flag. I was done. I was done fighting. I knew God, what God wanted. He wanted me. And I call it a full and unconditional surrender. And I can tell you, I've had struggles since and, and stumblings and everything else. But on that day... Lord, it was, Lord, I'm done fighting. Whatever you want, you've got it. 
I don't know why you'd even want this life, but it's yours. Jesus was born as Christ, Messiah, the Lord. Is he your Lord? You know, if you made him Lord, you will have a blessed life. I can tell you that from personal experience. The only thing I regret about my life, having received him as Lord, the only thing I regret is when I didn't listen to him. Is when I didn't follow him. Because every time I put him first and followed him, it's a blessed life. Finances, housing, wife, children, education, career. If he would have told me 20 years ago I would be where I'm at today, I'd say, you're crazy. You're crazy. Who could do that? The Lord. That's why he deserves to be Lord. One day you will bow the knee to him. You have only in this life to do it voluntarily. After that, it's too late. Then it's only as a doomed rebel. How else is Jesus' perfect gift besides besides being the Lord? Reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to, your wa- take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Turn off. Sorry, I'll go backwards a little bit. Okay, kids. Got any kids listening? Who will save his people from their sins? You got it, bud. Good job. Now for the harder question. No candy canes. What does Jesus mean? Does anyone know what Jesus means? Same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. It means Jehovah saves. It means Jehovah saves. But do you see how the angel elaborated on this name? Did he say, Jehovah will save his people through Jesus? No. He said, he will save his people from their sins. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Jehovah. He is the one true God. God manifest in the flesh. Jehovah saves. But who can Jesus save? As we learned last week with Zacchaeus, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Seek and to save the lost. And this can be a big stumbling block for people. 
Besides giving up the right to rule their own lives, that's, that's one big challenge. And the other big challenge is, I don't need to be saved. Saved from what? I'm really not that bad off. I'm actually a pretty good person. You see? And that's what the religious leaders thought themselves. They don't need a savior. Jesus told the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. They both went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee got real close and just kind of, it says he prayed to himself, and, which is pretty appropriate because I'm sure that prayer went to heaven anyway. But he said, you know, I'm glad I'm not like other men. You know, I fast and I, I tithe and I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector here. You see, he trusted in himself. He didn't need a savior. Where was the tax collector? He said he stood afar off, beat his breast. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. He wouldn't even look up. What did Jesus say? He said, that man went back to his house justified. The one who didn't trust in himself, but trusted in Jesus. Let me ask you, for those of you here who have done that, do you remember that day when you realized you were a sinner who deserved hell? Who deserved to be punished for your sins? What was it like to know that Jesus was a savior of sinners? It was wonderful, wasn't it? Wonderful. What a blessing. Knowing that you deserve to go to hell. I remember I was coming away from my, um, I was preparing for my father's uh, uh, funeral. And that's when I was convicted of my sin. But later on, as I started to realize who Jesus was and who I was, I put the books aside, the, the Sunday school lesson that I got on my face before God. And I said, Lord, I don't know if I've ever realized I'm a sinner who deserves to go to hell. But I realize it now. That if I were to die right now, that's where I would go. That's what I deserve. And I don't know if I ever really trusted you, Lord Jesus, as being that replacement for me. But I trust you now. I trust you now. See, that's the problem with us today. We're not much different. We're not much different. But the same is true for us today. Same is true for us today. We often don't think that we're bad enough to go to hell. We don't believe that sin is that bad. How bad is sin? This is how bad sin is. Nothing less than the Son of God, God the Son, becoming a man to die for you. Nothing less than that would pay for sin. One sin. That's how bad sin is. The alternative... You pay for your own sin, being separated from God forever. That's it. Those are the only two alternatives. That's how bad sin is. We really do. Each one of us, we need a Savior. Jesus sent the disciples out. In Luke 24, 46, he says... Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
we all need a Savior. And Jesus is still saving people today. We heard testimonies recently from the baptismal here of the Lord saving lives. And when he saved each one, what did he do? You know what happens when you get saved? If you're here this morning, you've never been saved. You know, I, I can lead you to the water, but I can't, make, I can't make you drink the water. I really can't. But you know what I can do? I could throw a lot of salt in the oats if you're eating some of the oats this morning. Okay, we're salting the oats this morning, making it so you understand and see why it's such a blessing to be saved, to be born again, to be saved. You know that peace you desire? That peace that you know everything's going to be okay? That no matter what happens here and now, it's going to be all right? That only comes through Jesus Christ. And you can have that. It only comes through him. Anything dependent upon you, you'll fail. You can fail. He can't. He cannot fail. That inner peace that you so long for and desire, he can give it. And he has. I know. I've experienced it myself. Others here have as well. Beyond that, the Lord wants to deliver from the power of sin. That's the penalty of sin, having peace with God, knowing that when you die, you go to heaven and not hell. Beyond that, Jesus wants to deliver you from the power of sin. This is sin's grip over you on your daily life. There's some sitting here right now who I know sin has a grip on your life, even things you know are wrong, but you can't stop doing them. I know, I was there myself. Jesus says in John chapter 8, speaking to the Jews who supposedly believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. I've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? (laughs) It's kind of proud. These guys were always in bondage to everybody. Before it was the Romans, before that was the Greeks, before that, for hundreds of years they were in bondage. They didn't want to look at their own sin, their own need. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And if the son shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. Every true believer, every believer that's come into that relationship with the Lord has become a child of God, a son, like it says here. They can testify to that power. You have power over sin you never had before. You couldn't. You were a slave. And now the son has made you free. And you're free indeed. For all those who live for him, who trust in him, he gives them power over sin. Jesus, the perfect gift, the Savior, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, I'm looking forward to this, from the presence of sin. Again, it's Jesus' box. We walk around and we do our lives and we do everything we're going to do, but this is his. This whole world is his. He sees what's going on. He saw Columbine when it happened. He saw Newtown when it happened. 
He sees the genocides that happen in Africa. He sees every one of the over a million abortions that happens in this country every year. He's the savior from the presence of sin. Because you know, one day, he's going to say, enough! And it's going to stop. And everything that defiles and takes away, everything that's wrong will be gone. And it will be saved from the presence of sin itself. I think there will be a holy shout from his people in heaven. Amen. Amen. Jesus, the perfect gift. How is Jesus a perfect gift? As the Lord, as the Savior, as Emmanuel. Reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. You know, there are many titles for Jesus in the Bible. You know, if it was us, we'd try to gain titles to, like, you know, influence people and become something more of ourselves or act like we're something more and throw these letters and initials and these titles at the back end of our, our names, our business cards, or on the paperwork. The Bible is trying to communicate to us just how much Jesus is. And one name just doesn't do it. One name just doesn't do it. Here, we see that Jesus is called, Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? Well, we, we know at least geographically what it's got to mean. He's not up in heaven. God came here to earth. And all the universes and all the worlds and all the imaginations, no one's going to write up a story where God leaves heaven and comes to earth. Except our God. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. He came down from heaven. The Son of God. God the Son. Fully man and fully God. What a gift. Think about that. What greater gift can you give? God gave what? Himself. God gave himself. You can't give more than that. And look at the incredible person that he is, and you just can't top it. It says in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Besides, geographically, experientially, he experienced what we experienced. He experienced pain. He experienced hunger, thirst, tiredness, betrayal. He was completely deserted. It's not just about God being with us, here living with us. This is the this is the part I like the best about Emmanuel. He cares about us. He really cares. He's on our side. When he looked on the crowds, he was moved because he saw them as sheep scattered with no shepherd. He cared about them. 
He had compassion. He fed them. Even when they had mixed motives, he still had pity on them. Jesus wept. He saw how sin and death ravaged Lazarus' family and friends. And it affected him because he cares. Even to the end, when we were the most guilty, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hmm. Jesus is still for us, for you and for me today. Sometimes he's more for us than we are for ourselves. He has to work through us, around us, Try to wake us up and see it. His word says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to the knowledge of the truth. Emmanuel, God with us. He's the only one who can love you with an unconditional love. Because think about this. He knows everything about you. And I do mean everything. And he loves you anyway. That's unconditional love. That's unconditional love. It says nothing hidden from his sight. And he loves you anyway. Still died to save you. You know, it's the devil who promises life and then tries to destroy you. He puts the tinsel and the flashy thing and the... And the temporary thing puts it all in front of you to get your attention. And his, his underlying goal is to destroy you. What did Jesus come for? I love this verse. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. That they may have it more abundantly. God doesn't want to crush you. He doesn't. He sees all the hard times you're going through. And and he wants to make good out of them. And if you know the Lord, if you're his, a child of his, he promises it's good. It's going to come out of it. If you don't know the Lord, what he's saying is come to me. I can give you rest from all those troubles. I can give you peace and joy. I can give you everything you're looking for, but you have to come to me. <laughs> Satan's got a good spin. He, he paints the Lord as a killjoy. You know, you just got to carve out the Bible to do stuff like that. You really do. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know what, if you haven't experienced that because you're not saved, you're not a believer, I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is that it's true. I can give you different examples of how the Lord's led and blessed us and it might not mean the same to you. You have to come to him first to experience it. But when you see as God is with you on your side because you went to his side, you will have a blessed life like you've never known. That I'm looking forward to this. One day, Jesus will always be with his people in every way. 
Revelation 22, starting in verse 1, says, And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. You know, one day, God with us will be in every moment. And every day, every moment activity. For those who know him those who receive him now. Jesus will be with us. And we, we will be with Jesus. I, that, I'm sorry, that's so exciting to me. I, I wonder how I ever go to sleep. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. See, Jesus is the perfect gift. He is. Inner peace, unconditional love, Purpose in life today. Certain hope after death. It's all found in him. The question you have to ask yourself is, have you received him, that gift? I don't mean, did you make a profession 30 years ago and your life never changed? Has he come into you and changed you as Lord, as Savior, as Emmanuel, God with us? Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you. We thank you for your love for us, Lord Jesus. We stop and think of the perfect gift that you are. A God who couldn't give anymore gave himself. And we stop and think of why that is. And we realize it's, it's because for God so loved the world. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for every believer here. That we know you and we appreciate you and we love you. Lord, we want to give you the glory you deserve, to give you that rightful place to worship you and to look forward to seeing you face to face. And Lord, I pray for everyone here who doesn't know you, Lord Jesus. God has given the best gift of all, an unspeakable, indescribable gift. Lord, I don't know what holds them back. I pray today, now would be the acceptable time. Now would be the day of salvation for them that they wouldn't reject your gift any longer. Lord, we, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, the perfect gift of God. In your name, amen.